0: From the podcast Low Profile, I live in Olympia, Washington with my wife and two daughters, and I support Vish Khanna's Creative Control on Patreon because I appreciate his journalistic integrity. Vish talks with a lot of artists I care about, and he never asks any boring questions. I love hearing his interviews, and as a Patreon supporter, I get to hear even more of them. If you enjoy Creative Control too, I implore you to join me as a sustaining contributor.
1: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Creative Control with Vish
0: Khan. Sophie Papamarco is a gifted writer, journalist, and author based in Toronto, Ontario. In her past life as both an arts and lifestyle writer and columnist, Papa Marco has contributed to the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, the Montreal Gazette and Exclaim Magazine, among others, covering everything from music to dating and matchmaking, and her short fiction has appeared in Tattle Creek and Maison Neuve, among other periodicals. In 2021, Papa Marco's first book of fiction was published by Wolsack and Wynn. It's a wonderfully funny, haunting, and poignant collection of short stories called Radium Girl, which recently won a gold award in her category, ...at the 24th Annual Forward Indies Book of the Year Awards. After a long-in-the-works-planned chat, Sophie and I recently and finally connected for a talk... ...about life as a new mother in Toronto during a pandemic... ...why she disabled her Twitter account with its sizable following... ...how we know each other and our mutual friend Jordan Howard... ...why she was or wasn't actually a journalist... ...her entry into the world of professional matchmaking... The stories and recurring themes within them in Radium Girl, working on a novel, other future plans, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf of Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Grandad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, this is episode six hundred and ninety-seven of Creative Control, featuring the wonderfully talented Sophie Papa Marco with your host me Vishkana. Hi, Sophie. How's it going?
1: Good. How are you, Vish?
0: I'm well. It's nice to talk to you. It's been a, a long time. I said that questioningly. I know it has. <laughs> like a super long time, uh, I think. Where in the world are you there?
1: I'm in Toronto, which is uh, a city in Canada.
0: <laughs> yes. For those uh, <laughs> listeners around the world, Toronto still is a city in Canada, a city I was once known to frequent. On the regular, but uh, have moved away. How are things for you in Toronto today?
1: Oh, you know, <laughs> they're uh, pandemic y still. Yes. Despite yeah. our, our best intentions. Yeah.
0: Are you hunkering down? What's your, what's your deal generally?
1: Yeah, I've got a baby who's not vaccinated. So we are hunkering. Um, my partner works from home. Hmm. I don't get out much. <laughs> we go for walks. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Now your baby's not vaccinated. Uh, you know, as a parent, is it up to you to sway an anti-vaxxer like that? Maybe turn them around, turn them around to the right side of the science.
1: I I feel like I've just sort of thrown my hands up at that. You can uh, you can do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to avoid everyone, basically.
0: Yeah it's uh it's a very frustrating time, uh, and I know I remember. Because I think you're, are you basically off of, you're off of Twitter, I believe. What happened there?
1: Um, The day that Elon Musk, I'm going to get some hate mail um, from some Elon Musk bros. But uh, the day that he bought Twitter, I was like, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) I'm good to go.
0: Right. Because you were, why I ask is because you were pretty vociferous uh, about uh, pandemic uh, carefulness, cautiousness. How we shouldn't be letting our guard down and I was I'm with you. I didn't I don't spend too much time doing that stuff, but uh I'm the same, I feel the same. But uh, oh and, and also I should say, by the way, did Elon Musk buy Twitter? I feel like that's that was just a sham and it never happened. Am I wrong?
1: Well, not being on Twitter, I haven't been getting the latest information, so I don't know what's going on in the world anymore. <laughs> did he buy Twitter? Who knows? I'm
0: pretty sure he didn't in the end. Or he can't or something. Huh. Or, He's threatening to do it, and it's some sort of market manipulation for whatever he wants to do well, Uh, and he's trying to drive the price of Twitter down or something. So as it stands, as we're speaking currently, I don't think Elon Musk actually owns Twitter.
1: Well, that's good. But at the same time, I felt like I was staring at Twitter when I could have been looking at my kid growing up. (laughs) So I felt like there were a whole lot of different reasons to just kind of call it quits on that platform
0: yeah yeah. fair enough you are missed if I may say and you had a significant following as I recall
1: yeah I had a blue check mark and everything
0: yes so (laughs) was that a consideration for you I know this sounds silly because we're adults but when you get the blue (laughs) check mark and you have lots and lots of followers that can't be the easiest decision to make on the one hand but on the other we're adults so maybe it was super easy
1: Yeah, I think I mostly miss the the connections with people who aren't on other social media platforms, like my my Twitter friends who aren't on Facebook. Uh, But I don't feel like I miss anything. Like I haven't felt tempted to sign in yet. And it's been two months, which is a significant amount of time having passed after spending 12 years on Twitter. So I don't I think it was probably the right decision for me.
0: Well, uh, yeah, no, I, and I appreciate it. I, I'm sure there are people like me are envious that you can do it because some of us feel compelled. It's hard. It's an addiction, isn't it? Like it's hard to it get. It really is. Actually, that's an interesting, uh, perspective you can offer. So you did it. Uh, what were the withdrawal days like? Were you ever like, Oh, I got to get back on there. This is horrible. Or have you been mostly fine? <laughs>
1: The first week was weird because I I sort of automatically tried to find the app on my phone and it wasn't there. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And then and my fingers would like type sort of ghost type twitter.com on my computer. And I'd be like, oh, wait, I don't I don't have that anymore. So the first week was a little bit tough because it was just a force of habit. And after that, it's been fine. I haven't really thought about it very much.
0: Fair enough. All right. Well, we don't want to talk about Twitter too much. I just wondered about it because that's <laughs> where all the uh, anti-vax and the anti-science and the everything's fine sentiment—that's where I get most of it. Which right. I don't, I don't like either. But it's also good to know what people are saying, so you can be like, "Really? Like, how is this possible that people think these things?" Uh, that, I'm going
1: to miss the jokes. <laughs> that's what yeah. I'm going to miss. Yes, yes, the jokes.
0: Yes, I do. It's true. I do like uh, one of my jobs. Still, is to collect. Uh, funny tweets every week for for exclaim magazine oh amazing and i enjoy that because that's where you that's like every friday a little bit of a release valve on how annoying the world is you know
1: yeah and that's how i know you that's how we met
0: did we meet on twitter
1: no exclaim oh oh
0: sorry right exclaim (laughs) sorry i didn't No, we met did we well i that's funny you mentioned that because i have some recollection of you being Uh, friends with my uh, friend Jordan Howard uh, who I played oh
1: my gosh is that right yeah Jordan and I were in kindergarten together oh that's right because you were both Guelph Guelph people that's for a while right that's
0: correct and we would play in a band together and sometimes we'd play in Toronto and then sometimes you were there and that's that's how I feel like I really got to do we really cross paths that much at Exclaim because I wasn't physically at the Exclaim office uh, all that often. Um, so when you say I, we I, we met through Exclaim, I can't recall uh, how often we were kind of in like at Exclaim parties and stuff. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, I feel like the first time I met you was at a, an Exclaim Christmas party at the Bovine. Oh, okay, I'm yeah, fairly certain. Yep,
0: yeah, that's possible. Yes, I, that's definitely something I would have gone to. Uh, but yeah, my that's funny. Our memories are a bit different. <laughs> my memory is that I knew you through Jordan. And that you would sometimes come to our shows, probably to see him. But I, uh, and I'm sorry, were you, are you from Guelph?
1: No. No, Jordan, uh, grew up in Scarborough with me. And then his family moved, I want to say to Sarnia.
0: Yes. That's when you're older. Yes. Yes.
1: And we didn't stay in touch. We just reconnected in our 20s. Like there was like a whole gap of time that we missed. And then we were like seeing each other in the music scene. And I actually haven't seen that guy or, anything in years and i think he's is he back in guelph hi jordan if you're listening (laughs) Uh,
0: his ears must be burning jordan as far as i knew based on the last time i drove him home is in waterloo
1: (laughs) oh that's nice
0: yeah but uh yeah
1: we were like the smart kids in our class and we were sort of like we'd compete to like be the best readers in our classes because we were in we were in the same class from kindergarten to like grade five i want to say grade six even yeah Anyway,
0: yeah, he's he's smart. He's a smart he's a smart guy. I'll give him that. <laughs> so that's funny. Okay, so that's okay. So yeah, we're we're kind of connected on a music scene level. That's what we've established, which is nice. Uh, but the occasion today uh, is to talk about this wonderful uh, new collection of of short stories uh, that you've written and uh, has been published. It's called Radium Girl. Congratulations on this, by the way. Thanks. It's been out a while now, right? How long has it been out? I said new, but it's been out a considerable time.
1: It's been out for a year since May 2021. So, so yeah, just over
0: a year. I, I don't like to start episodes or, or, or start apologizing, I should say, this early in an episode. I usually wait <laughs> 30, 40 minutes before I start to apologize. But Sophie, I want to apologize. I I think I reached out as soon as I heard of your book about us chatting, and it's just taken a long time. I'm slow. I read slow is basically my excuse. Uh,
1: I was in, so I had a baby uh, three weeks before my book came out, and so I was incapable. Yes, that's right. Yeah, forming coherent sentences up until like maybe a week ago, so the timing's perfect.
0: Yes, as I recall, this is true now. This is all coming back to me. I'm very hard on myself, Sophie. That's the problem. (laughs) I just assume everything's my fault. But the thing is, yes, I did reach out, and then some, one of your people and I were corresponding, and they mailed me a copy of your book. But then you and I were having—actually, I think we would correspond on Twitter. That's how I know you deleted it, by the way, oh, uh, or, or yeah. off there, because you're still in my um, Twitter uh, direct messages. I can you're there, I see your, you know, account. But then when I tried to message you, it was like gone. Sophie's not here, and like it's zero. What does it look like? It, in the direct messages, it looks like you're an active account. But then when I click on it, uh you're gone. Oh, I, and I sent I you didn't... a message on there, but it didn't work. So then I think I messaged you on the other one, Facebook, I think. Is that how we reconnected? I think it was. Or email. Oh, I, I forget. Know. I asked you if we could email. Anyway, that's neither here nor... <laughs> you know, your and Jordan Howard's spelling and reading aptitude, how you and I corresponded, not necessarily germane, but... Sort of. I just wanted to, I'm pointing out facts and figures. But you and I would correspond on Twitter and I'd say, I'm sorry, I can't do this right now. And then you'd be like, I can't even have a, Like you said, I can't have a coherent sentence. I'm basically this baby is taken up uh, somehow. I was not expecting a baby to be so much work. Is that, weren't, weren't those your exact words? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like nobody tells you that babies are hard. Nobody. So, and then you're like, "What? What did I sign up for?" You know? What is
0: this? Sometimes our 7-year-old uh, daughter will be really clingy with my wife, uh, particularly since we moved her all the way across the country and then a pandemic yeah. happened like 6 weeks later. For some reason she's clingy. We don't we can't figure Here. it out. <laughs> but anyway, uh my wife is sometimes like, "I don't know, uh, it's so frustrating." I'm like, "What did you think this was going to be? You make human <laughs> beings. Like my parents and I still talk. And they still want to give me advice, and sometimes it's helpful advice, and they still want to, like, do you need money? I'm like, you're not even making an income now, and I am. Why would I need your money? Like, that instinct of (laughs) taking care of and just constant It's the rest of your life. So I say that to my wife sometimes. Like, what did you think was going to happen if we made children people? They're going to need us all the time. Like, that's it. This is...
1: They're not like... A cactus.
0: <laughs> no, they're definitely not. I said that to her. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt right away, by the way, just for my wife. My t- Kids,
1: they're not a cactus. They're not a cacti.
0: Yeah. Cacti? They're not cacti. Kids, not cacti. They're not cactuses. They're not cactuses. Yeah. No, I think it's uh we forget or we don't realize. I don't think we foresee exactly what we're in for when we have our children, some of us. I think I did. I was like, yeah, no, that's normal. It's normal for them to need you for the rest of your Lives. That's just how it's going to be. Uh, no matter what you think is going to happen. So anyway, yeah. So all I'm saying is, uh, eh, get used to it, Sophie. This is just what you're in for for the rest of your life.
1: We're just tired forever. Yes. Just tired always. Yes. Tired
0: yeah. and worried. At this point, I know where my children are all the time. <laughs> in a few more years, I'm, I'm not. And that's how imagine that. Like, yeah, my parents used to stress out. They'd stay up late till I got home. And I always thought they were just guilt tripping me. But I mean, honestly, I can see myself doing that now. I could see myself My parents s- did that too. Everyone yeah. I think
1: that's I have always felt so bad about yes,
0: that. Yes, and we made fun of them for it, but really, what the hell? Like as teenagers in cars with other teenagers, it makes no sense that we would anyone would be calm <laughs> and chill about this circumstance. Oh yeah, you're going out with a bunch of teenagers who've been driving for a year and a half. I'm sure that'll be fine. <laughs> have fun. I'm not gonna sweat that. Uh, anyway, sorry. This wasn't meant to be about me. And my neuroses. This book is really fantastic. Uh, first of all, short stories—always a curiosity for me—why a writer would uh, uh, go for short stories versus, you know, a novel? Uh, how many books have you published thus far? First of all, Sophie. One. <laughs> Radium Girl is the first one, but you are uh, an accomplished and acclaimed—I uh, guess—journalist, right? That's—is that appropriate?
1: Content writer. <laughs> I don't, Content. I don't know if I, I, you know, I think you were a music journalist. I think Michael Barclay's a music journalist. I think Carl Wilson is a music journalist. I don't think I was ever a journalist of anything, really. I think I was a writer.
0: Okay, let's let's just figure this out together. <laughs> I'm going to go to the uh, uh, author bio at okay. the end of Ra- Radium Radium Girl. Uh, Sophie Papamarco's writing has appeared in the Toronto Star- The Globe and Mail, The Montreal Gazette, Reader's Digest, Chatelaine, Flair, The Walrus, The Huffington Post, Exclaim, Salon, and many other publications, both living and dead. Her short fiction has been published in Tattle Creek, Maison Neuve, and Room. So most of these are periodicals, (laughs) uh, some of which would be classified as journalistic uh, entities. They contain
1: journalism, yes.
0: That's true. Some of them did or do. So I would I would venture to say that you are more than journalism adjacent. I think you you were or are a journalist on some level because the writing you would have done for some of these um places would be would you say it was journalism on some what else would it be?
1: That's so I'm being maybe a little bit self-deprecating because I don't I've never worked in hard news. And that's what I think of as journalism. I think of it's like research like intense research and intense, like, like digging and being a detective and investigating. And that's, that's not what I did. I did, I would interview pe- some people about vibrators that <laughs> right, write about right. that, you know, right. like my, my writing, my journalism was <sighs> soft journalism. And that's not to say that I'm not a good writer. And then that's not to say that it wasn't interesting to read. And that's not to say that it's not also important to write about dating and I don't know, relationships and music and pop culture. But like that to me is not true journalism. And so I don't know that I would classify myself as a former journalist.
0: Okay. I, I appreciate the distinction you're making, but you also raised another one. <laughs> we
1: can talk about this all, all hour. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just saying, I think you are a, a journalist, and I think the fact that some of those publications, uh, would include your, your thoughts and perspectives on, uh, the topics you mentioned, that does count as some form of lifestyle journalism, you know, arts journalism. It's journalism on the one True. hand. But now that I, now that we're going down memory lane, uh, you have written fairly, you, weren't you kind of known as sort of a relationship or? No, didn't you have like a, Didn't you have like a name for yourself or something? You were some sort of like matchmaking person or something. What what were you? A dating specialist?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I started a matchmaking company. I, it was called Friend of a Friend Matchmaking. It still exists under new ownership. Uh, And I was also a dating blogger back when that was sort of a relevant thing to be. (laughs) So I don't know, like the 2000s before things got like super dystopian, (laughs)
0: Is that right? My my blog was. There's no need for dating anymore. There's no need for blogging anymore.
1: (laughs) I think dating, blogging, there's no need for that anymore because everyone's had like the funny, weird, crazy stories now. It's not. I wasn't like. I was a very early adopter to online dating. Like I started online dating in 2005, Hmm. which it was still kind of shameful. It was still a thing that people didn't talk about. And I was on all the OK Cupids and the. Before it was even called Okay Keep it was called The Spark. That's how far back I go. And I would sort of write about each of these dates in an anonymous blog. And uh, yeah, I had quite a following and it was fun and cathartic, I think. And I took my wisdom from that <laughs> to create a matchmaking company because I thought like, nobody wants to date online forever. I did it online forever. It's terrible. Mm. I want to meet people organically. So I started introducing people in my life to each other and it went really well so then i was like i should make money doing this right and there's actually a story in the book to take it back to the book about a matchmaker yeah who has some like pretty
0: everyone you love is dead is the story
1: that's right yeah and the matchmaker has some unethical business practices let's say
0: is that drawn from your own business practices it is not. Just making sure. It is not. I would think when you're in that realm, though, when you're in the sort of matchmaking or dating realm, uh, you know, where it's, you're monetizing other people's desperate desire. I don't know how else to put it. That's not, that wasn't complimentary. Sorry. But when you're in that realm, do you hear stories about your, your, your colleagues?
1: Yes, I would hear it was mostly not very flattering stories about the sort of more corporate matchmakers, Mm. the ones that don't that aren't attached to people that sort of have more, you know, like, elite matchmaking Toronto gold star kind of stuff instead of like, hey, this is Debbie and she's a matchmaker. Mm. Because when it's an individual and they tie their name to it. I mean, friend of a friend matchmaking was just like a cute name. But my name, my name and my face was all over that site. And I, I was very transparent about it being a one woman show. Right. And it being very human and very authentic and very transparent. But a lot of, there are a lot of matchmakers, uh, who are pretty decent people and they try their best. And it's just, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to be because people are, I'm not sure if you know this Vish, difficult. Yes. <laughs> and people have expectations that don't necessarily match up with reality sometimes. And you have to try to, figure out a way to make them happy while sort of dodging some of those expectations. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, women would often come to me and I'd ask what they want in a partner. And the first word out of their mouths would be tall. Right. (laughs) And I would have to say, well, you know, there's only 10% of men are six feet and above. Should I only be looking at one in 10 men for you? Should I be dismissing all those other guys? And then they'd be like, oh, wait. (laughs) So there's a little bit of massaging there.
0: Why? uh, So just so we're clear and on the record, I'm tall. I'm six foot two. Why do women, in your estimation, care about tallness? Why does it matter to them?
1: It's the same reason why a lot of men care about thinness, I think. Hmm. Um, And that is because it is what a society deems attractive or at least Western society deems attractive and B it makes people feel more comfortable in their own bodies, in their own skin. Hmm. Cause for me, like I'm a heavier woman and I wasn't always comfortable with that. And so I always dated taller men because that way I didn't feel big compared to them. They oh, were the big one.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. And-
1: and for men wanting slimmer women, sometimes it's like a skinny guy that makes them feel like the man, quote unquote, in like a hetero relationship. So that's oh. sort of like my thought process around it. It's, it's an insecurity thing hmm. more than, more than an attraction thing.
0: I see. Well, I feel like all your background as both a matchmaker, as a, and I'm just going to use the term again, journalist. I feel like you... Fine, Bish. Fine, I'm a journalist. Fine. <laughs> I feel like you have been very uh, immersed in the study of human behavior and a lot of your research, if you will, comes shining through in the various stories in this wonderful book. Um, as a catch-all, can you... I, I, again, every story is different, uh, set at different times. There's some sci- science fiction sometimes. There's all sorts of genre exploration that goes on from story to story but on a human behavior level does that interest you do you feel like you were trying to explore things that have been bothering you about human beings uh with radium girl in particular
1: yeah i think um it's fun to explore the psyches of people that who you are not it's sort of like a dirty role playing in a way what 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 would I do in this situation if I were this certain person or I had this kind of past or this was my goal. But I think the overarching theme that I was working with that became apparent after a few stories was loneliness. Every single person, every single character as different as they all are in the book is extremely lonely and feels like isolated and like an outlier Um, or they're trying to help people who are isolated and outliers and that definitely came from, like, the headspace I was in in my 30s because I wrote this book from age 33 to age 37 where I was mostly mm. single. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually in one bad relationship for a year during that. But it was definitely my exploration on themes of loneliness and trying that out in different shoes, I guess.
0: Definitely different shoes. So for those uh, who haven't yet dug into the book – uh, the first story is about <laughs> yeah. it's about conjoined twins and that is fascinating on a few different levels. Uh, what compelled you to ponder that dynamic as it relates to I think it's obvious probably but what what why were you interested in conjoined twins?
1: This is gonna sound like super nuts because it's not apparent in the story but I started writing that in November of 2016. Um, Mm -hmm. so for me, it was about a being divided where one half of the being was acting in a way that was actively harming the other half for their own selfish or ignorant reasons. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) for me, it's about the United States of America and these women are two different sides of that. And that was me exploring it on a more human level.
0: Oh, wow. So it's a political allegory. I hadn't even picked up on this.
1: I know. Nobody does until I explain. I guess it's maybe just how I worked it out in my head before. Like it was something I needed to talk about and explore. So I did it through conjoined twins who are teenagers just figuring out their lives and uh, how one of them harms the other irreparably through a selfish act.
0: So interestingly, and I think one of the reasons I didn't pick up on that necessarily, I I recognize that they... Were opposite uh, sister. The sisters are sort of opposite in their ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the story is set uh, in Canada. It's set uh, uh, the the sisters are from, as I recall, New Brunswick. They relocate mm-hmm. to Toronto. They end up working at uh, Honest Ed's, which is a now defunct garish uh, bargain play like place for bargains and palace, bargain, yeah, palace. bargain palace. Yeah. I, I, it had not occurred to me before you just talked about it. Was Honest Ed a stand-in for Donald Trump? Carnival Barker? <laughs> kind of, you know, trying to rip people off?
1: No. I just really liked Honest Ed's, and I thought it was such an interesting backdrop, and I wanted to set a story in it. And there, that mannequin room exists, and I wanted to integrate it into No, this. no. Well, it existed.
0: Uh, and I appreciate that this is that it's not maybe all connected in terms of the allegory, but if you've got uh, uh, conjoined twin sisters representing, if not the Democratic and Republican Party, but the left and the right, <laughs> I like the notion now. You know what? I don't even care what you say. In my mind, Honest Ed is Donald Trump now. Or maybe maybe some of the boyfriends are Donald Trump, or the boyfriend, the guy. Anyway, I don't want to ruin anything. But that is an interesting opener. All I'll say is that for a story, because uh, I'll tell you what I did. Uh, so, if I've had a lot of time with your book, so I read it once, and then last night, I read the whole thing in one go. I just, Whoa. I read the whole thing. I stayed up late. I like to read until I can't uh, read anymore until the book hits me in the face because I'm so tired and it just wouldn't happen. And as a result, I had a weird dream, a nightmare uh, that it's, I don't normally, they're not that vivid, but I think because of all the weird stuff that goes on in your book, I had a nightmare that uh, an inoculate, a mass inoculation was purposely corrupted to not work. Whoa. So I don't know what that's about. There is some stuff going on in this book. Uh, Is it... Which is the story about... uh, Is it Ark? What's the story about the people who uh, are uh, uh, held hostage by uh, someone, basically? Oh, Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: That is um, something to cry about. Something
0: to cry about. Right. Anyway, there's some... The landscape, because they're short stories, and then oh my god, in heaven everything is fine. I was telling my wife about that one today. Uh, that's
1: a creepy one. That's the, my that's my shot at horror. Yes.
0: So, uh, yeah. and I don't want to spoil anything, but I also don't want to leave people listening and be like, "What the hell are they talking about?" You have uh, what I'm trying to get at is you seem to have a real interest in whatever modern means as this book ages, but you seem to have an interest in technology. Uh, in how humans interact with technology, how it uh, messes them up uh, a little bit. Um, these inventions of ours—they uh, come back to haunt us. I think is some 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 sort of thread running through this book. When I think of the story "White uh, White Cake," for example, where oh. someone's using their ingenuity and but they're oblivious to certain things, and then it—they end up. Eh, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm being careful, but. They are underestimated and then they get their revenge. But it's all about their ingenuity. And it's all about using the the tools that uh, we as a society have presented each other with. Anyway, I just hmm. find that interesting. you know where I'm coming from with that?
1: Wow. Like, I never really thought about that, but that's, I think that's really interesting. I, and I hadn't really thought about the technology parts of the book. And that really all leads to Sophie quitting Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. The control burn, if you will. I mean, you had to burn your Twitter down, uh, for the health of Sophie. Uh, that's, it's not, Full circle. not a great analogy, yeah. but it, it is interesting too, because I find that, and I'm, I don't know if this is purposeful, but there are very few instances of sympathetic male characters. Um, they're mostly all horrible. Uh, and, and the yeah. flip side is that the, the characters who identify as women are completely, you know, they're, they're, you, you feel sympathy for them. They have to battle through some form of adversity or another, in some cases because of men. Is that as obvious uh, uh, to you as it is to me? Is that something that you were kind of going for here and trying to tell empowering stories that, that's, that speak on behalf of women?
1: It really didn't hit me until I read the, the full collection, hmm. um, and I thought, oh, God. <laughs> I seem to have a bit of a misandrist streak here because I, there's only really one character that I can think of who's actually like, that you're really rooting for. uh, And that's Marcus and he's a child Yeah. um, in terms of men. Right. And there's Richard in the same story, but he's, he's flawed as well. Hmm. But honestly, I do think that, one, probably my favorite character in the whole book. You haven't talked touched on this yet. Is in Tiny Girls. He's the protagonist in Tiny Girls. Oh, um,
0: you like that character? I think
1: he's, hmm. I think he's charming <laughs> and endearing, despite being a non-practicing pedophile. Which is sort of what I was going for. Yeah, um,
0: yeah there's a certain um, <laughs> yes. You have you have created a non-practicing pedophile who somehow, somehow comes across noble and conscious of their illness. That's a really interesting take on that. Why? And I mean, there's a lot of cases here in this collection where I think you're taking, you're giving sort of um, some evil people the benefit of the doubt uh, and perhaps even not advocating for them, but trying to see their point of view a little bit or trying to offer their point of view and their perspective on things. That's, that's a rare kind of empathy, but why, what possess you, what possesses you to do that exactly? To, to try to make a, a, you know, untoward characters sympathetic to the reader.
1: I think in general, there's no such thing as a truly evil person. I mean, we could argue about this and we could say, Oh, Hitler, I mean, maybe. But I think overall, people who cause harm to others do that because there was harm done to them. And that doesn't justify it. But that sort of recasts people as like our friend Donald Trump. His dad was a dick to him. Yes, (laughs) he his dad was a tyrant. And I think a lot of his bravado and arrogance comes from his like, painful neglected privileged background of just trying to prove himself to daddy and never quite adding up that's my that's my sort of psychological analysis of donald trump so when you look at him that way i mean you can still loathe the guy but you can see sort of a more human element and you can understand how he is the way he is and it comes from pain um Mm -hmm. and for me i'd like to explore that side of people and for in terms of like the non-practicing pedophile that was like a pure rip on lolita
0: like
1: (laughs) lolita is my favorite book probably one of my favorite books because it's just so it's gorgeous writing and the character is so sympathetic despite being despicable and i wanted to sort of try my hand at doing the same thing Mm. how do i take somebody who's so loathsome and turn him into somebody charming and likable and you're almost rooting for Mm. at the end so that was an exercise in like how can I do this too? That looks fun. <laughs> Let me give it a shot. In uh,
0: in Mar in is it Mark, Margie? Margie and Lou? Yeah. Is it Lou that alludes to the fact that uh, she she just wants to read Nabokov?
1: Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good catch.
0: Yeah. So uh where I'm where I'm coming from though is and, and I don't mean to psychoanalyze you and I don't want you to admit anything uh that you don't want to. But I, what I'm getting at, I think, is I, I, what little I know of you, and I mean, I, you know, we know each other. What little I know of you, I'm starting to sort of wonder if you're in each of these characters or how much of you is sort of reflected in these stories. It could be that little nod to Nabokov. It could be, you know, earlier you were saying that uh, we were talking about how people try to date uh, certain body types to make them feel good about uh their own body type and i can mm-hmm. there's some body dysmorphia type stuff going on or judgment going on about the uh, the way people look and you know i mean again in in in, hev- in heaven everything is fine has this hilarious punchline about being nagged by your parents i mean <laughs> it's this crazy horror story but in the end what's the goal of it well it's because your parents are a relentless Shamers, and uh, yeah. you, you just got to get used to that. Anyway, so there's shame, and there's all these things, and I know there's a lot of different feelings. There's revenge, uh, all sorts of things, uh, superpowers. But do you feel like you're in here a lot, uh, or am I am I extrapolating too much?
1: No, I think uh, that's very insightful, and I, I feel like my experience and my body and my life are the only ways that I have experienced the world. And so, of course, there's a lot of me in, in each of those characters because that is, that is how I've experienced the world. And like, even if I'm trying to be somebody else in my brain or in my writing, there's still going to be like the weight of my entire life and my psychology in, in that enmeshed with these people's brains and with these yeah. people's motivations and with their thought processes. So, of course, yeah, I think if you ask any writer, of course, they're part of each of their characters.
0: Hmm. It's a bit of a stock question, I suppose. One of the things I often ask people after they've uh put a record out or put a book like this out is I say uh have did did you learn anything about yourself? Now, mm-hmm. following that last line of questioning, do you finish any of these <laughs> stories and and come away from it with any perspective about yourself? I feel like you do. I feel like you do. I feel like you have the power in in sort of doing that self-exploration that you're just describing. You have a way, you have the power rather as the narrator to change the ending, to make it the end. You know, a lot of us, I don't know about you, as you get older, you sort of reflect upon your life and you think, oh, what if I did this? Or what if I talked to that person in high school and said this, you know, every once in a while you have those thoughts. And I think uh, when you're a writer and you can sort of reimagine those scenarios, but put them in kind of a fantastical way, you can write the ending you wish you'd had. You can, you know, Mm -hmm. for someone else. Do you have any of that? Do you have any of that like, oh, I resolved something that I was feeling (laughs) or that something that was bugging me about uh, regret or something I had. I was able to resolve it just by putting that in the story. Do you have anything like that happen?
1: I mean, I haven't had any of those experiences of those people that those characters have had. However, certainly like I've had the emotions that they felt and like some of it has been extremely cathartic. Like the burning of the house in yes. controlled burn. Like how many women want to do that to an ex boyfriend who jilted them? Like so many. Mm. And it just felt great to have her actually like literally set fire to, sorry, I don't want to like give away. It's, it's sort of a, an obvious moment, I think, yeah. uh, at the end of that story. But yeah, I think that there's a certain catharsis in writing a story and having a character get revenge on something that you have maybe experienced, whether it's shame or feeling like an outcast or being heartbroken and having that happen in like a spectacular sort of dramatic fictionalized way feels great. Sure.
0: That's a really fascinating story though, because- Which one, um, Control Burn? Control control Burn. So let me just, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's worth talking about. I'm going to try to summarize it. Sophie, please correct me or interject if you feel like I'm wrong. But this is a story about uh, a young woman whose parents feel she's overweight. However, she becomes the object of affection uh, of an older man. Um, and as the story develops, the parents say, hey, to the daughter, we're actually going to send you to like a fitness camp because we feel like you need to lose the weight. And so she's separated from the man that she starts basically dating who seems interested in her for both her uh, spirit and her physicality. And as she begins to lose the weight and become uh, conventionally beautiful, if you will, uh, the man loses interest. Uh, so some uh, some predilection this gentleman has uh, for people who in society wouldn't be considered as beautiful uh, because they, they are overweight, uh, so to speak. I'm trying to speak gingerly about this, as you can imagine, and tell, probably. But that's an interesting story because this gentleman who does not—sorry, uh, uh, I'm going to stop it there. What do you want to say about this gentleman? Because on the one hand, what we learn is everything I've just said is true. Right. He has a preference for women uh, that are, well, A, very young, I believe, yeah. Yeah. which is villainy, but B, seems to uh, appreciate women who are, uh, what's the term that people use, Rubenesque, L- larger. Fat. Uh, you can just I don't say fat. <laughs> I can't say it. Uh, so he, he it's seems not a bad to, word, Vish. I know. It's not a bad word, but I feel like it's derogatory. Sorry, I have my own hangups about words like that, and I'm uh, so it, it colors my, my ability to use them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, yeah. uh, kids were very mean. And uh, you would uh, – I feel shame and horror at things me or other people said to others. Uh, and so I am – it's not about being uh, politically correct or woke. It's just about being decent. And I don't want to – It's uh, the other thing I used to do, and I was just talking about this with someone else, is I would use the derogatory word for uh, people of East Indian descent against myself so mm-hmm. that the white kids couldn't do it. So all I'm saying yeah. is I'm very – I have a lot... I have some regrets. I couldn't have known much better. I was a kid. You make mistakes. You say things. Yeah. The conventions at the time... Do you remember you saying...
1: Sorry. Do you remember saying that's so gay as like the worst thing ever? And it just it just makes me... Like it's Pride Month now. And it just makes me feel so much shame and so much sadness for the kids who, who knew that they were, right, at the time. Yeah. And it was such a common phrase in the 80s and 90s.
0: Yes. But I... And I could be wrong. There's probably documentation. There there wouldn't be documentation. What am I talking about? There was no way to document these things at the time. I don't Thank remember God. using that. I don't remember using that word in that way. I just never idiot, stupid, probably fat. Uh, but I just don't remember. Uh, maybe uh, I, I can't be sure of this. Probably. You're right. It was so commonplace and you just talk like your friends talk and that's how it or is. Or the
1: R word. Did you ever use the R word? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oof.
0: Right, so all I'm saying is I can't say that word because I ha- it has some baggage for me. My okay. point is, this guy who uh, seems to have some, uh, what's the term? Well, Preferences. <laughs> yeah, sure, let's say preferences, that's the word. So he uh, prefers women who are younger and larger than others. And he's the villain. So the younger part I get. But I guess what I'm getting at is, Interestingly, the guy who doesn't seem to uh, conform to conventional modes of beauty is still the bad guy on some level in this story. He is
1: to her because he hurts her. He breaks her heart. But but would you like everyone who's told me about Pete has been like, I like that guy. Okay. (laughs) You know, well, and that's what I tried to do. He's he's a predator. He's a clear predator.
0: He is a predator. So that makes it bad. And the fact that he didn't he just <laughs> dumps he doesn't explain himself, he just yeah. the 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 young Ghost girl sir. yeah he goes sir, and then starts was a thing. <laughs> and then starts dating uh, or whatever dating he's a predator uh, starts grooming uh, another young woman who looks more like sorry, what's the main characters? The, the woman? The young girl? Lily? Lily. Lily? I don't know. It's remember. been a while. Yeah, you should. Yes, forget it. Anyway, he goes her, and that's bad. And he also is a predator. That's bad. And he seems creepy. He he approaches her at a candy store, and he seems to... Yeah, I think he is bad. He's a predator. And he knows okay. his... Okay, is that fair?
1: Yeah. Okay. Like, I'm a journalist. He's a predator. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> up for debate.
0: It's up for debate. You know? It's a... Uh, It's just, a. it's an interesting way of telling that story because Lily's revenge is against someone who saw, no, there's no way to talk about it. I don't know what to say about it. He's a predator. So the revenge is probably justified. It's just those beauty conventions is where I think things muddy it up for me on some level. Like, Like, is he? But again, most of the men, terrible. They're almost all the men are terrible. Some of the boys, maybe not as much. Uh, but yeah. but some terrible stuff goes on.
1: But Vish, the women are mostly awful too. Like I mean, equal opportunity <laughs> yeah. villain writer. Sure, the women are awful. Who's the
0: worst? Who's the worst woman in uh, in this story collection?
1: <sighs> who's the worst woman?
0: We just were talking about Lily, who sets fire to a guy's house. That's yeah, pretty she's, bad.
1: Well, she's lovely. I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's fine. <laughs> the worst woman in this collection. Probably the matchmaker. Yeah, maybe. Who would, who do you think?
0: I don't like Annie from White Cake. Some there, some wrong yeah. there. Uh, taking advantage yeah. of poor naive Carol. Carol, I believe is her name. Uh, I feel like you wrote Carol like a a character in a Kids in the Hall sketch. Uh, like oh, one of the Kathys. Uh, do you know those characters, Bruce McCullough <laughs> yeah. and, and Scott Thompson? Sort of office naive. Totally. I don't know if you are you a fan of that. Anyway, that's weird. Yes, I am Eric... as a teen of the '90s.
1: I am a fan of *Kids in the Hall*. Yes.
0: When I read *White Cake*, it's it's the the perspective is all Carol's, and she talks in a way that reminds me. It's a very Canadian way of talking. I don't know how else to put it. There's something kind of hosiery about <laughs> about Carol. And Annie, some not right there. Uh, I don't like that. Um, yeah. that's just one opinion. I don't know why, why am I, why is this a line of questioning? Who's the worst person in your book? Let's talk uh, about the worst person in your book. Well, it's just, in my
1: book. well, we have murderers. We have pedophiles. We have, oh, the obvious worst person in the book is the father and something to cry about. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: racist, controlling.
1: Yeah, psychopath. Uh, psychopath. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But is it PTSD from his time in the military? Question mark. Can we find a soft spot for him? Does Here we he, go again. Did he have his heart broken by his wife?
0: This is the Donald Trump thing that you did yeah. before. Right. Let's let's get to the pain to figure out where the anger is coming from. Yeah, and it's noble of you, but. Uh, <laughs> But there's nothing good about that character. No, anyway, he's still
1: a dick, for sure. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So I think there are lots of horrible people in this book. Radium Girl is a really fascinating uh I mean, that's the name of the collection. It concludes this story collection. It's a bit bizarre. Can you contextualize it? Can you summarize what that story is about and why it became the I guess the titular story?
1: Yeah. It was the last story I wrote for the collection. I had no idea what the collection would be called and then When I finished that story, I was like, oh, (laughs) that's what it's been all along. Uh, So the Radium Girls are, I'm not sure if there are any history buffs listening, but in the 20s, 30s, even up to the 50s, there were young women, generally women um, from immigrant families in the United States, who worked in watch factories, primarily painting dials on the watches in radium paint because when soldiers were in the trenches, I mean, they didn't have, you know, their iPhones to check the time. (laughs) They had their glow in the dark watches with radium paint. And these young women would paint these watches like they were paid per watch. So they would paint very quickly and they were taught to lip point the tip of the brush. So they would have a really sharp point and they would like accurately paint the numbers. Hmm. But um, nobody told them that, Radium is incredibly poisonous, and many of them died of cancers and horrible things. Um, yeah, as very young women. Yeah, and I only learned about this a few years ago, and it just it enraged me. <laughs> I was so infuriated at the injustice. They they took uh, the ones who were sick and dying, as opposed to the dead ones, uh, took their their corporation to court and and tried to get some. Damages from it, but it was a really difficult uphill kind of journey for them. And I wrote Radium Girl out of my rage for the injustice of that. Mm -hmm. And I tried to, as we've been speaking of, get some revenge on their behalf in a fictional way.
0: Yeah. 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 It's another example of what I was alluding to earlier of uh, women being placed in bizarre and harmful positions due to industry. And technology, and yeah, it's a that's a. I guess there's a triumphant ending. It seems. Yeah, I think it's an optimistic ending. Yeah,
1: it's it's a superhero origin story.
0: Yes, exactly. So does that suggest we might hear more from Radium Girl at some point in our lives?
1: I would love that. I would love to turn her into a comic book or a movie or a miniseries. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I would love that. that. I think she's a perfect feminist superhero of our time.
0: You should connect with a comic book artist and see if you can't get that off the ground. Because I think there's some legs there, if I may say. Yeah. Uh, who am I to tell- Brian Lee
1: O'Malley, are you listening? Yeah,
0: exactly. We got to find someone <laughs> like that. Yeah, they'll do it. I bet. Yeah, yeah they'll. Oh, they'll, they'll... I'll,
1: I'll email him after I say bye to you. <laughs> well, thank you in the acknowledgments. <laughs> thank you.
0: Appreciate that. So uh, I, I hope we've given people a flavor of this of this collection. Uh, I hope we didn't spoil anything. Is there anything more you want to say about it in terms of uh, what people can expect or what you hope they take away from it once they've read it?
1: Well, I feel like I shirked your original question of like, why are the men in this book so terrible? Because I just went, oh, the women are awful too. But yeah. to be like fair and honest, yeah, they are terrible because I had a terrible time with men in my 30s. Hmm. And... Uh, our art often reflects our experience, as, as we have already spoken. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of terrible men because I had a lot of terrible men in my life during that period of time. So right. apologies to the many, many lovely men out there. I have one in my life now. I have yeah. several in my life now. And I'm happy. <laughs> and men are people, just like women are people. And sometimes they are terrible and sometimes they are wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: And wonderful people rarely make interesting fiction, though. So, yeah. Um, no, I I appreciate my, there's got to be tension. I think the tension. takeaway for your audience yeah. is please please buy my book. It's Canadian publishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I hope they will, and I'll link to it so that they can figure out uh, where to get and stuff. Uh, do you want to shout out your publishers and whatnot?
1: Yes, yeah, thank you so much, We'll and Win in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario. You mm. have been a dream indie press to work with. Oh, and I just won, uh, Radium Girl just won gold in the forward indies, oh. which means they thought it was the best short story collection of last year. Oh my goodness. Really great.
0: Congratulations. When did you win that?
1: Two days ago. Oh, what
0: the heck? I didn't <laughs> even know that. Let's just, for the record, our talk was scheduled before I knew you were going to win a bunch <laughs> of stuff.
1: I won a thing. Congratulations. That's one single thing.
0: That's incredible. So what is that? It's an award you get... Was there like a cash prize? You get coupons? What do you get?
1: Again, Canadian Publishing, there's no money in I it. See. I get uh, bragging rights. I can talk about it on podcasts.
0: Oh, well, I'm very, very happy for you. That's amazing. And it's well deserved. As I say, I've read this book twice. Uh once in one sitting, gave me a slight nightmare. Unrelated. <laughs> Unrelated nightmare, I'm pretty sure, but uh no, it's wonderful. So what's next for you, Sophia, now that uh, you've won an award? That's sort of Pins the tail on this donkey. What's next?
1: <laughs> um, continue to keep my daughter alive mm-hmm. and hopefully COVID free till she gets vaccinated. That's sort of like priority one. Yep. And after that, I'm working on a novel casually, oh. and I hope that sees the light of day in the next two years.
0: Did you find that uh, when you thought about writing a book, did you choose short stories first because you thought, oh, this is this will be a way to get my feet wet? Then I'll go for the novel. Or is it just organic? This is just how it unfolded.
1: Yeah, it was pretty organic. I think maybe some of those stories were starting to be novels. I was like, I'm going to spread a novel about this. I was like, nope, it's done in 12 pages. Right, This novel is done. Um, It's a pretty great, I have to say, for people who in the pandemic – had a bit of pandemic brain and couldn't really focus for very long. I have to say short stories are like the way to go. They're mm. the way to get back into your novel reading. Yeah. Yeah. People tend to be down on short stories for some reason. I think it's like, oh, I don't like them. I like novels, but like they're but, just mini novels.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I think people don't give them the weight they deserve. It feels like, I don't know what that, it's like uh, in music. If someone puts out an EP, you say, well, when's the novel, when's the album coming out? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know I don't know what that says about us or why, but it's just something that happens. But all this to say, it's really amazing. Uh Sophie, where can people go to learn more about uh, Radium Girl and You using uh computers, telephones, these sorts of things?
1: Uh you can go to my website <laughs> which is www.myfullname.com, but I, I, I don't need to spell it. I don't think because it's probably there on the screen. You could say
0: so, it. I just don't want people going to myfullname.com.
1: <laughs> www.sophiepapamarco.com. Yeah.
0: Okay. There you go. And that's it. You're off, or are you off most other socials?
1: I'm on the Facebook and I'm on the LinkedIn. <laughs>
0: right. Okay.
1: Um, because I feel those are safer spaces, not because of the you know ownership being super mm-hmm. ethical or anything it's just a way to stay connected to people professionally mm-hmm. and personally maybe i'll be back on twitter one of these days i don't know vish no it's fine it's well, it's
0: you uh, i think everyone's gonna follow your lead eventually so don't don't sweat <laughs> that well in any case uh, radium girl is out now sophie this is a wonderful uh, wonderful book thank you for this chat i hope you enjoyed it and i wish you the best luck in the future it was nice to catch up
1: thank you so much vish take care
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, like I just said, very special thanks to Sophie Papamarco for appearing on this, the 697th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me, and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation. To sustain this podcast, $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, some of it derived from the interviews I, I do... Now, some of it uh, comes from my audio archives, interviews I did uh, in the time leading up to actually launching this podcast, uh, things that maybe had a home on my college radio show or or magazine interviews that I never got around to putting anywhere else. It's a rich archive of stuff, Uh, and sometimes I put stuff up. And uh, yeah, Patreon's about the best and most direct way to support the show Financially, if that's of interest uh, to you to support me in this work. Otherwise, there's no other uh, real income for the show. Uh, not enough to live off of, certainly. It would be great if that were the case, that it would pay all the bills and uh, feed me and my family and all that sort of thing. But uh, it's modest, uh, just like uh, me. Is it is it immodest to say you're modest? I feel like it is. Anyway, thanks for all of you who support the show already. And if you're thinking about it, patreon.com slash creative control oh if you'd like a creative control t-shirt there are two designs one is red it's got a giant uh, depiction of my head in profile on it the other is a pizza like a yellow shirt with a pizza design if you'd like one of those just message me on patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last I must confess I'm a little behind because there's an envelope shortage and I I couldn't get one I can't or the ones I need I got like three or four shirts I gotta send out as I'm speaking to you And I haven't been able to get the right envelopes. They don't have any. So I managed to order some online. Uh, They should be arriving from Canada Post shortly. I'll get those shirts out. So if you want a shirt and you support the Patreon, message me at patreon.com slash creative control and I will hook you up. Thank you. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee, each located in Guelph, Ontario, and Grandad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. Finally, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Sophie Papamarco. I hope you were intrigued enough to check out her book if you haven't done so already. Thank you for uh, listening to this show, subscribing to this show, following this show, whatever it is you do, and telling your friends about the show. It all helps a lot. I will talk to you very soon. Thank you. Bye for now.